Okay, good morning to everyone. Court will come to order. Those of you who can stand, please stand. We're going to have a, a brief prayer. We bow our heads in prayer and say, Lord, thank you for the blessings you have bestowed upon us. Thank you for the opportunity to gather here today to take care of the county's business. And thank you for allowing us to live in the best county and the best state and the best nation in the world. And we ask you that you allow us to give true and wise decisions in this meeting. And we ask this in your name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. If we could remain standing, we have got Crystal Landry of the County Clerk's Office. Crystal, would you lead us in the Pledge of Allegiance to the American flag? I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. If we remain standing, we're going to have Cassie Austin of the County Judge's Office lead us in the pledge to the state flag. Honor the Texas flag. I pledge allegiance to thee, Texas, one state, under God, one and indivisible. Thank you very much. All right. Well, we have one item this morning. We need to open the meeting. I'm going to move. I move we open the meeting. Second. Okay. Commissioner McBroom opens the <coughs> meeting and seconded by Commissioner Grossman. All in favor, aye. Aye. All right. We've got one item on our agenda today. That's the extension service, the county agents report. And then we've got another meeting scheduled for this afternoon. So we've got Sally Garrett here, Scott Willie, and Kayla Casper here. So uh, this is a yearly report that you are going to be giving. Am I correct? Okay. All right, so y'all ladies and Mr. Willie, y'all go ahead and take it away, please. Okay, I think you have our uh, in-depth statements already on your iPads. So uh, we, we're going to do it in a certain order the way that they'll, they'll show up on your iPads. And I get to start off. Thank you very much. Uh, and on uh, my first in-depth, it's a multi-county early childhood education. <coughs> and this past year, in 22, we had two child care conferences that were held. Um, we have various ex exhibitors. Now, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to kind of do a synopsis because I know you all can read and see that. Uh, but we always try to have great speakers for them and topics that we've taken off of past evaluations of areas that they want to, uh, for us to present. And we had uh, extension specialists, local health care professionals come, uh, Region 13 Education Center specialist educators. They were at our conference, and we had a variety of topics. You can see some of them there that we uh, had at, this, at uh, both conferences. We had a winter one, which is always in February here in LaGrange, and then we had a spring one, and that was in Shiner. We do it as kind of uh, a Three County that Turtle Wing has. There. We do it in partnership with Turtle Wing Foundation, uh, and they help us with publicity programs. They serve as an exhibitor, and we were in China, and that's they do Hallettsville, Colorado County, and Fayette County. Um, we had a total of 13 workshop hours that we were able to offer. Uh, 13 hours of CPEs, which are uh, continuing professional education <coughs> units that school teachers have to have, so we were able to offer those to them. Uh, we had a total of 219 child care providers. 
and they reach about 24,000 children in the 14 county uh, area. We always send out to uh, uh, the surrounding counties and offer these programs. We had a fall conference planned so that we would have, we would be covering uh, the entire year, but there was a neighboring district right there that uh, was offering a conference, so we held back on that particular one. You can see some of the, the results from it and some of the comments. They really enjoy the conferences. The one here in the range, we always average about 200 providers. Uh, during COVID, we went virtual, and then last year was our first face-to-face -face in, in 2021, and we got about 166 this year. We're getting ready to have, uh, I'm sorry, in 22. And this year, we're getting ready to have ours in about a week and a half, and we've got 200 already registered for it. So you can see we never have problems getting uh, their providers. But it is an important uh, industry, and that's the way we need to think about it. They have to have mandated hours in order to stay open. Directors have to have uh, certain hours, and we offer those uh, every year. They have to have three hours uh, of business administration. We're able to offer that to them. And you can see it's the wages, uh, 2.3 billion in the state of Texas with these child care providers. And they really are not overpaid, that's for sure, for taking care of the children. Then I have a healthy Fayette County impact, an in-depth summary that I have. Uh, we I've put a lot of programs under that. Uh, we have an annual Walk Across Texas, which is an eight-week program. We have a weekly What's Cooking Health newsletter that goes out. I send that out to over 1,400 people every week. Uh, it always has a health message. Uh, this month was about resolutions and, and address certain issues. I got to do the February one, which is coming up um, this coming year, but uh, it's on heart health. But we also had a multi-county uh, cooking well with diabetes. We did it virtually, and we did it face-to-face -face here in Fayette County. Um, I also had a worksite wellness walk across Texas. Uh, multi-county holiday hold'em, which is about a seven-week program. We do it over the holidays, and we have our uh, child passenger <coughs> programs. We do educational programs and distribute child care seeds, and then, of course, food preservation workshops. And this year, one of the new things that we did was the Rose contacted us. First time I've ever been contacted. They are a mobile uh, mammogram unit that comes in. They usually come every other year. We partnered with uh, Blue Bonnet Community Services. Quentin Gonzalez really, really stepped up and helped us a lot with that. And they offered 21 no-cost, low-cost mammograms. And we were off and we did that. I'm trying to think what month we did that. Uh, November. We did that in November and filled all of those spots. So that was a real positive uh, addition this year. And they said, quote, that <coughs> we're gonna come, we want to come back next year. So we hope, usually they come every other year, so we will be able to offer that uh, to people that really have the need and don't have the health care or don't have the, um, the ability to pay for it. You see some of the results from um, the pro some of the programs that we have. We just finished up our holiday hold'em. Some future programming, programming that we have uh, for this coming year will be some addressing some of the issues for our aging community we just got updated 
by the area agency on aging, and we will be doing a matter of balance trying to work out the site over in Schulenburg. Uh, we've been asked to do that. We've got some other programs that we want to do. We're trying to work out uh, with Glenn. I have to get an insurance policy. But also <coughs> another thing that we're adding, and we're really excited about this, it's under our Better Living for Texans program and BLT, and it's a government grant, SNAPLED, and it's a Early Childhood Learn, Grow, Eat, Go curriculum, and we're working with the LaGrange uh, Head Start program. So we've got that in there. She just started that. We trained them last year, and now the curriculum is being started. Uh, the next one that I show you is the uh, Cooking Well of Diabetes. This is the virtual one that was offered, and we did a separate, uh, because it was a multi-candidate, we did a separate in-depth statement with that. We offered that virtually. We offered it at no cost to everyone. The one that I do that's face-to-face, -face, <coughs> a small charge because we do tastings. Basically, it winds up being a meal. They get in the kitchen, they cook, uh, they get the education, and then they get the tasting. But this one is virtual, and uh, it was at no cost. We offered it. We work with health care professionals, and I did uh, the session two on substitutions and fats and worked with the WIP nutritionist, and we, we recorded that. We re-recorded re, re the virtual one this year uh, to offer it, or not this year, 22. Um, and then I did the meet me in the kitchen cooking demonstration. We offered it all week long so that they could go back and forth and they could watch it as many times as they wanted. And then on Thursday, we had a face, we did a virtual face-to-face, -face, and if they had any questions, we answered for that week's presentation. And we really had a real positive response. You can see some of the results there. They increased their knowledge about changing uh, recipes to include more fiber, which is extremely important, using herbs uh, instead of salt, 100%, and of course, some of them uh, the nutrition food labels, people just don't read them and they, they learn quite a bit about that. Uh, the next one that I have is our worksite wellness. It was a walk across Texas. And that is in the nine uh, county, nine banks that are in seven counties. In Fayette County, uh, we have, I think it's in Round Top is, is the bank, industry share, bank shares. If I could go back, Sally, to the food. Yeah. I heard you on the radio this morning talking about <laughs> the food training this is for people in the retail food business in the county oh the is food that, manager that's, yes you, and, and that's still offered you're, you're working with people oh yeah. That. yeah yeah definitely in fact i've got one at the end of this month good and i'll get into that next that's my next one okay. i'll offer a little bit more on that okay. because they have to have that that's mm -hmm. so uh if you turn the page you'll see that um there's an economic impact when you have walking uh, something like an activity, walk across Texas. Uh, the economic impact on this particular worksite one was $372,699. Because what that does is when people are active, they offset some of these chronic diseases, therefore, you know, <coughs> healthcare costs are down. Uh, also, the one we had here in Fayette County, uh, we had an economic impact with it. Um, I didn't mention that, and I'm thinking, if I get to it, uh, the economic impact of it was 242,871. That's just Fayette County. 
and then our car seat program uh, with our distributions, it was 94,000, almost 95,000 uh, of an impact because children that are in car seats, they're installed properly. If they're in a, if they're in a uh, accident, then they don't sustain the injuries or have no injuries and that, that cuts back on uh, healthcare costs. Uh, yeah, my last one is you read health food safety. And uh, we offer food handlers and we offer food manager trainings. Uh, the revisions in 21 with the Texas Food Establishment Rules went into effect and you have to have anybody that's employed by a food establishment. And that can be even something like a stop and go type of business. It can be a restaurant, anybody that handles food. Uh, anybody that serves food. So that can be your, your schools, your childcare centers have to have it. Uh, they have to have the food handler card within 30 days of employment. Now the food manager used to be you have to have somebody that was a food manager. That's a two-day training. You take a certification uh, test. We use the ServSafe out of the National Restaurant Association. Now they have to have someone on site at all times. And that test is given here locally? Yeah. Oh, whole state of Texas. The Texas food establishment rules and regulations have changed. So if, if the inspector comes in and let's say uh, the restaurant is open seven days a week or six days a week, and most of them are open, you know, what, 15 hours, 10 hours, you have to have someone on duty at all times that's a, a certified food manager. That's a big change. So we're offering that. Um, we offer quarterly and uh, the same thing with the food handlers, I offered every other month, but if some group wants something special, uh, we'll, we'll work out uh, doing the training. It's a two-hour training. And we have 78 retail food workers who completed the two-hour training, uh, and their cards are valid for two years. And then the food manager, I had 25 that registered and completed it. And they get a five-year certification because it's out of the National Restaurant Association. It's a difficult test. And thank goodness they lowered the passing rate a little bit so that we're getting better results now. Um, and we're just going to continue to offer that. It's just a big part of it. Food safety is, is important. You know, we don't want any foodborne outbreaks uh, in our county because everybody comes, CDC. <coughs> uh, and I think we all remember, it goes back quite a few years, uh, that there was a restaurant that hepatitis A, and they closed them down for over two months and had a big investigation. So just that's a real quick synopsis on those. Uh, still just kind of other things that I'm doing. I still have my extension education ladies, the old extension homemakers. I still have two clubs, about 15 members. Uh, they support with um, an annual scholarship. They have a $1,000 annual scholarship to the county youth. They do Deputy Santa 4-H. Uh, they do some uh, community service with my child welfare board and CASA, which is your advocates, children's advocates. And uh, they've helped out at the Fayette County Fair with serving food up there. Where, where are those two clubs located in the county? Uh, Wahala and then LaGrange study. Jeanette Helsebush, they're quilters. Very good. We inherited the EH kitchen. I don't know if you all know, Carolyn uh, Fritchie passed away 
very end of the year, towards the end of the year. And so all of the ladies pretty well live out. So we're, we're taking the, um, I guess you'd say registrations, people that want to be in the kitchen, we're taking those and we're, we're working with the ladies to keep that going. And the city's, it's a city building. Uh, and they're they're helping us with that. Maybe. So if the public, if someone in the public wants to use the EH kitchen or the EH facilities, they contact you. Yeah, Jenny, our new secretary receptionist is keeping those calendars. Yeah. Nice little building. Yeah, it really is. We're trying to improve it, uh, and the city is willing to work with us. We've done some cleanup so far. We've got a long way to go, but mm -hmm. just slowly but surely, as mm -hmm. they say. Mm -hmm. um, Still working with the fair. I serve as a resource and we support them at the creating arts department uh, with cleanup, securing judges, culinary sales. I usually spend two days with the culinary sales and of course at the end when they're picking up uh, exhibits. Um, also this past year we got pet partner from Day Tripper to come as a judge. We had a lot of fun with that. So that, that was really fun and new and I think everybody enjoyed it. Uh, also, working with 4-H, uh, you know, on the FCS project committee and, and helping and assisting Kayla in any of the projects that she needs help. Uh, Ag Day, Safety Day, and then with Economic Development, I'm on uh, You're going to have Ag Day again this year? Pardon? You're going to have Ag Day again this year? We had it in October. In October, mm -hmm. okay. And you do Safety Day, mm -hmm. and that's, yeah. That'll be in May. May. So that, those are big days right there with the schools all invited. Those are sixth graders, right? <clears throat> Ag Day is fifth, fourth graders and safety day is fifth graders. Okay. Well, I was close. You were very close. <laughs> yeah, close. Uh, and then with Main Street uh, Casino Arts Association Board, Schmeckin Fest Committee, and, and I'm a volunteer. So, you know, just um, child, child welfare board still, that's a court appointed board still on that and uh, the library board and the salvation we now have the salvation army i don't know if y'all know that uh the veterans program brought it in jesse did and i'm on that board it's it gives us more resources where they're needed when people are in need it's it's kind of a stop gap where we can get them with community services and any questions i know that's just kind of that's through but Gentlemen, we have a we lot have any questions? for 23. The car seat check days, are those going to come back sometime? Or? Uh, we lost Bev Kilmer, who had been doing it forever. I don't remember, a little tiny lady. Um, and I've been told we're not a county in need, so they're, So I don't know. I may have to go to another agency. I think that was a good service. I mean, it was. I mean, it really is. And you know, when we had 68 that one time, right before COVID, we had 68 checks. Let me tell you, for two and a half hour, that's a lot. Uh, we still are a distribution center. Jennifer and I are still doing individual education programs and distributing seats. So we're not going to lose that at this point. And I I'm, kind I'm of have some ideas of maybe going to some other agencies, see if we can't get them to come in. I know Lee County. Uh, over there, she uses a different agency, so I'm hoping to do it in the spring to get a good turnout. Does, does EMS do they do child safety checks? We don't have any uh, certified instructors, <coughs> and so I talked with Jennifer uh, about it, and um, I 
think the certifying class is pretty expensive and we just were waiting to kind of figure out what that was going to look like. Yeah, Bev did quite a few of them. That, they lost someone that would, was a hard, hard worker and she would have them around and so there would be one nearby or it would be a big burden. But, um, yeah, because it's like four days, five days, four days usually. Be, we've even held them here. Oh, wow. We made our building available. I don't know, we've got someone brand new just getting the information has been a little difficult for passengers. I had no idea it was four or five days. I thought like a couple of hours. Yeah, you, you go and then you take a national test at the end. Okay. Beth got it down to about three and a half days. Okay. And then you've got to stay up every two years. You've got to go to a conference. You've got to have so many CEUs and, and you have to do so many checks. Um, sure. So it's... Okay. Well, I feel like I wouldn't show up with my kids in right now. <laughs> 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 we get their register. Yeah. Just about everybody Man. does it. That's, that's yeah, the absolutely. <clears throat> All right, who's next? Kayla or right. Scott? Yes, sir, I'm okay. next. All right. <coughs> All right, well, again, thank y'all for letting us come speak to y'all. I hope you enjoy the cupcakes. I did not make them. I bought them, which is probably a benefit to you. Um, I normally, the 4-H normally gives y'all poinsettia, but most of you have kids that are selling the poinsettia, so we figured we'll go a different direction, and I think you'll, uh, hopefully you'll enjoy the, the cupcakes. So if you don't thank want you. them, I will certainly take them back. So um, don't feel obligated to keep them if you don't like them. We'll split Harvey's and Zena. Yeah, we'll split <laughs> Thank y'all for everything that you do to um, support Extension and also the 4-H program. We greatly appreciate that. So uh, just like Sally, you have my in-depth summaries and then some other significant <coughs> programs in front of you. I'm going to kind of just run through them, highlight some very important areas, and then if you've got questions, feel free to ask me. Um, but again, I, if you know me, I like to get to the point and tell you what, what's good, and then if you've got questions, you know, just let me know if you have anything that you uh, want to know more about, um, certainly let me know. But we're going to start with the Prestige Leadership Conference. Um, I started this probably 12, 13 years ago and has really evolved over the years. It used to be just a club or a county council officer training um, where we just talk about leadership, you know, parliamentary procedure. And over the years, um, probably about seven or eight years ago, we started making it into a career exploration along with the council officers getting trained in the various leadership skills they need to run a successful County 4-H program. And so this past year, it was eight different counties that participated, and we took a three-day trip to Texas Tech. It was fast and furious, because basically one day was driving there, one day was driving home, and then um, one day was all of the great uh, leadership <coughs> skills that they learned. And so we had about 70 council officers and those 70 council officers will then go and train or lead about 2,500 4-H kids um, in those eight various counties. And so we did go to Tech, um, like I mentioned, and of course we learned about parliamentary procedure and um, you can probably appreciate us trying to teach kids a proper way to, to handle parliamentary procedure and that's a passion of mine. I think it's very important that we need to know how to properly run a meeting because that's probably not something that most people are aware of and they probably are participating in whether it's fair board <coughs> meetings or if they're lucky to be a commissioner or serve on the school board. Um, it is a skill that they should, uh, this is a, a skill that they will benefit from in the future. Um, and so they learn about um, how to properly run a meeting, um, leadership, teamwork, and so forth. But the highlight is they actually get to have a college tour wherever we go. Um, I said this past year we went to Tech, but we've been to numerous different colleges. We'll actually head to SAM um, this summer. And they get to see something that most kids will, will not experience on your typical tour. You know, you have your college tour, you get to see the campus, 
um, you know, sign up for your classes and boom, you're done. Um, but this is something that the kids actually get to participate in, like college class type material. And I think the highlight of tech this year, and I'm still um, <coughs> astonished by what they did, um, they brought out two life-size cows. And I actually, are steers, and I actually thought they were wooden or stuffed or something until you started to see ice settling on the steers. Um, so they had two life-size steers, and the purpose was they, they were basically siblings. I think they had the same dad but different moms. Um, they were born within two days apart, and it was just to show you how genetics can impact the way these steers look. Because they had the same dad, I think, with different moms. Um, they were about the same weight, but as far as their cutability, the muscle they had in them was totally different. And so they actually like shaved off a piece and you could see the inside of those steers. Um, so that was pretty neat for the kids to actually see um, how the, the steers looked and they use that in some of their teaching classes to measure the marble, measure the fat content of those steers. Um, so it was really cool to see um, those steers be rolled in there and then they, they were frozen. I think they used them for about six months, about the lifespan of those steers. Um, so very expensive, um, but we were fortunate that Tech was able to let our kids experience that. Um, another highlight of that trip was they actually got to serve, if you know Texas Tech, they're kind of known for their meat department. Um, they're very um, successful with their meat judging team. Uh, but the kids actually got to see how or what it's like to be a taste tester, like you were served on a panel to taste to see like if the, the meat had, or any type of food, if it had the butter content in it. They got to kind of see what different meats tasted like and it was not seasoned, uh, but they did like choice, select, and different grades of meat so they could really um, taste the difference in it. And, you know, you go to the store and you probably are buying, you know, nowadays are probably the cheapest kind you can get. Um, and when you start tasting that choice steak, you're like, oh man, this, this is where it is. Um, and so it kind of a, makes you appreciate um, our farmers and rangers when they're able to raise those uh, high quality animals. So um, that was really neat and that was just something that you know, most people won't be able to experience. Because um, people, that is a, a career. You got to get to um, taste food for a living. Um, and so they had like steaks and um, just different things. And so you kind of measure the butter content, the graininess, just different things. And so they taught you um, how to make your palate pick out those different tastes. So um, again, you're not going to see that on your typical um, tour that you'd go to for college. So um, we're very, very fortunate to be able to partner with these different universities throughout the year um, and get to experience that. So like I said, we'll be going to um, Sam Houston this summer um, to be able to see what they have to offer for us. How far of a drive is it safe? Oh, it was like an eight or nine hour bus drive. So we took two charter buses. So it was uh, a nice long trip. <laughs> and three days, I said that right. Three days. I'm pretty much one day there and one day back. Um, and one day of the, the learning. So it was it was good. And um, uh, the kids, that's kind of a highlight of the, the kids. And that's only open to our county council officers. And so we, like I said, eight different counties and you have to be an officer. And so that's um, kind of a highlight for them. And then you can see the statistics on the back, you know, 100% believe that what they've learned has given them the ability to be better, um, make better leadership decisions. And our youth are our future. And so, you know, that's the goal is to make sure that we're training them to be our future, to, to have a positive impact on, on our future. Um, the next one is um, the, the Progressive Safety Day. Um, we do the Farm Bureau Ag Day, which is, um, they started moving it to October. Um, that one is for the fifth grade, or excuse me, for fourth graders. The Safety Day is for fifth graders, and the purpose of Safety Day is to teach safety on and off the farm. So we partner with um, 
lots of when this started about 10 years ago ag day y'all did it in the month of may correct yes um, okay. and then once covid hit they kind of changed it and then they ended up doing it in october and the teachers seemed to like october better okay um, i think the testing has a lot to do with it mm -hmm. um so they just seemed to like a, we did like them last couple years i think we did not okay for, for ag day um, the farm bureau and then safety day is um, in May, well, mm -hmm. April or May, we still continue off of that April or May. Mm -hmm. um, we do partner with lots of uh, county, uh, EMS comes and helps us. Um, we have, um, you can see the list, um, Farm, or, uh, Farm Bureau does also sponsor it, Parks and Wildlife, and we just teach kids safety on off the farm. How to handle guns, um, what to happen if you're in a situation where you needed to give first aid. Um, we actually have uh, the alcohol awareness people come in. Um, like Sally mentioned that we are not a county at risk anymore um, because we don't have fatalities or crashes like other counties. And so um, we may or may not get the alcohol awareness people to come in. And we were told that fortunately or unfortunately that's a good or bad thing. I don't know what we get. Fortunately, we um, don't have the statistics that show that we need the program. Um, but in my opinion, since we're offering the program, maybe that's why we didn't have um, some of these statistics that other counties are having. So she feels confident that she can still come in and offer some alcohol um, awareness to the kids. Um, so the kids can go back and tell their parents the, the importance of, of alcohol awareness. <laughs> so they do get to put the, the goggles on and they have to, they play games and they play a beanbag game. They drive um, little cars and they just don't. I think they enjoy it, but it also gives them the chance to feel what it's like to be drunk or uh, under the influence of alcohol. Um, and so it's, it's, it's something nice for the kids to be able to participate in and just kind of, in the back of their mind, you know, maybe if your kid tells you, oh, mom, I don't think you should drive tonight, that, that's, a, that's a good thing, yeah. right? Uh, that's, that's a good thing. We, we, are, we are in Bay County, so uh, anything that we can do to help our kids and safety on and off the farm is, is a positive thing, right? Uh, but and when, we get our, when we get our surveys back, usually the alcohol awareness is the, the the fun one because they do get to put the goggles on and um, they enjoy that and, and they're having fun but we know in reality that we are trying to teach them something so um, hands-on is, is what 4-H is all about so we can have some kind of hands-on activities for them that they enjoy and that they're learning from it that's always a positive thing um, so we do have we've had all schools participate except Platonia um, I'm very I'm positive that they're going to participate this year um, so we'll see how that goes, but we will offer Progressive Ag Safety Day in um, May this year. So we're hoping that Flatonia will also be on board um, with that. Um, let me let me know if you need help with Flatonia. Okay, okay. I've, I've, I've contacted Laura Kutach, who's the the elementary principal. I mean, her have become good friends over good. the years, so I'm thinking. Good. Um, if not, I certainly, yeah. certainly will. Or you might tap into Jen Brown. She's very active there. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, and I, they were telling me that they're only allowed so many field trips a year and that's why they kind of backed out several years ago mm -hmm. but I don't consider this a field trip I consider this an educational sure. opportunity but um, I'm, I'm very positive that they'll be participating um, again you can see the survey results back uh, in the back and you can also see some of the comments uh, seatbelt safety is a big one too that the, the kids take from is that they want to put on the seatbelt and I know my kids are same way like that car doesn't go without the seatbelt on so um, that's very important the 342 members that you currently have in the 4-H. Mm -hmm. how, how would you say that compares to say four or five years ago? 
or getting more kids or less? Do you think? We are, yeah. It, for a while, we were really steady, and then since COVID, we have really um, about every year, you know, ten or twenty new Very members, good. and I think that's um, a Very good. There. Um, and I think parents are seeing the importance of getting kids involved in, in anything. Um, they see 4-H and they get to show animals or the food nutrition. It's not just um, showing animals. No doubt, I'm a big believer in 4-H. I, I joined the 4-H when I was in the seventh grade at St. Rose. And Commissioner Brosman's father-in-law, Larry Veselka, was our president at that time. I'm going back 50 years ago or whatever it was. But, uh, and I think your numbers bear that out about how successful people who are in 4-H turn out as adults. Yes. Uh, I think, I commend you, but I didn't mean to interrupt you. Go ahead. No, you're good. You're great. That, that's always a good thing to hear. And I, I do think our 4-Hers are some of our, our best kids. Um, I think the 4-H and FA program. Um, so there's lots of great things in our kids, and uh, I'm very fortunate to, to lead it here, and I hope that everybody uh, is happy with uh, the way that things are going. Um, one of them that you do not have in there, and when I get it finalized, I will send it. There's another lady working on the results, but it's our Train Like a Champion Clinic. Um, Scott and I work on that together. Um, and what we do is we just, since, since 4-H is huge, and, and the livestock part is probably one of the biggest things in 4-H, is we try to offer something for our novice, our beginner showers. Um, because it's easy to go buy a goat or buy a sheep or buy a pig, then what do I do with it? <coughs> so we talk about how to uh, proper facilities, the feed, nutrition, you know, it does need water every day, it does need feed every day, um, it does need to, you know, a little TLC, and so we just try to provide that information <coughs> to them. Um, and once I get this finalized, I'll certainly send it to you, but I do apologize because uh, we just didn't have all the numbers right now. Um, but it has, um, in January, offered just a clinic, and then in the summer, we actually offer a show. So the kids can actually bring their animals. Hopefully, they listen to what we said in January. And then they'll bring their, their animals, or they can bring their animals in July. And they'll get a chance to, uh, our judge will work with them on showmanship. And then they'll also get a chance to show that animal. So they get in a ring three times with that animal, which is um, not like your normal shows. So we, uh, we're very proud of the way the Train Like a Champion has evolved over the last couple of years. Uh, and then the last thing is just some other significant programs. Uh, we do have 10 4-H clubs and two project clubs. And like you mentioned, we have 342 members this past year. And I think for this coming year, we've actually exceeded that number, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, we had 15 members compete at Texas 4-H Roundup, which is our big event, our state event, the culmination of the year. And our SCH Quiz Bowl, they advanced to nationals and competed at nationals in January, and it ended up being the fourth place team overall. We had 34, over $34,000 in scholarships, just from the Texas 4-H Opportunity Scholarship to three very deserving um, young ladies. And I started in 2007, uh, but it's since 2008, uh, we've received uh, <coughs> just in Texas 4-H Opportunity Scholarships, and so this is a real number, um, $428,000 to our kids. And so um, we're, we're getting to that half a million mark, and I think that, that's just for that one scholarship. You know, if we added up all the scholarships, um, I, I can only imagine how many millions of dollars it would be, but I'm pretty proud of that number. And um, then livestock projects. Um, this year, there was $1.3 million awarded to our kids, and that's going right to our kids' pockets, uh, um, $1.3 million. And um, if you want to break down, I can give you a breakdown of each individual show, but um, just in general, it's about $1.3 million. Um, our livestock judging team, thanks to jo Jojo and Casey Corrales, has really expanded and exploded over the last um, couple of years. We have about 30 members, and uh, when they go to a contest, um, they're taking names. They're winning first place and buckles and banners. And I was on the radio this morning. Yeah, I think last Friday did, they did real well. Mm -hmm. Where was that in? Uh, Oasis County. Yes, it. Yes. yes. 
Yeah. So, um, very, very good. Very fortunate to have Jay, JoJo and AC Corrales um, in the county to kind of lead that lifestyle journey team. Because um, as you know, the 4-H program, like any organization, not one person can do it all. We rely sure. on our volunteers. And so Definitely. Um, they're, they're a goal line here in the county. Uh, just a couple other quick uh, special interest things. We do Watch Your Back, which is also an alcohol awareness program. Uh, we do career quests. We partner with Blinn and offer endorsement tracks for eighth graders so they can kind of see their high school track. Uh, we talked about Ag Day and the Safety Day uh, are just some of our big uh, special interests. And then to, the last thing that we do um, also is we have organized in some of the schools where we teach the elementary kids about how to eat healthy. Uh, we bring their organs to life, and so we name the organs, and we talk about what each organ does and why it's important to put um, good food in our body and get plenty of exercise. So. Do you have any questions? The Watch Your Back program, who, who, who's the, who, who instructs that? That's also through Texas A&M AgriLife. And um, the one that we do is mostly the, called When Sean Speaks. Um, and he was in high school or college, he was going to be a model. And he actually was in a, got behind the wheel with some friends. He wasn't driving, but um, one of his friends was driving and they were in a bad accident. And um, he had to learn how to walk, he can't talk. And so when kids kind of see what he looked like, you know, 20 years ago, and it looks like now it kind of makes you uh, realize the importance back to the alcohol awareness. Sure. Yeah. Um, so it's from some um, Texas A&M AgriLife is what brings Very good. Very to good. Our, to our kids. Very good. Y'all got any questions, guys? <coughs> Bailey? I'll just say that, I mean, I never knew there was so much in 4-H till I have a child That's starting true. it. And you can't say there's nothing to do or nothing, an, an avenue for them to go. So many options. I mean, there's so much always going on, so it's yeah. a good, good organization. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. They offer so much. I mean, you have to have something that you like. If you look at all the things that they have out there, it's great. It is. I know I mean, my son's in the 4-H shooting sports. We started a couple of years ago. And he loves it. <coughs> Man, he loves it. Those people that volunteer out there, they're great. They teach you the importance of gun and how to uh, operate them safely. It's just a tool like anything else, you know, and so it's great. It's really good. All the people that donate their time is unbelievable. Yeah, we have dog shows. <coughs> Where's that shooting thing? Is we here off Racetrack Road? Yeah. Uh, north of town? Yes. Okay. Yeah, it's where Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Good. It's really good. Well, thank you very much, Kayla. Thank you for what you're doing. Thank you. Thank you all very much. And again, enjoy your coverage. <coughs> okay. Appreciate it. Scott? All right. Well, uh, kind of round things up and, and kind of to what Callie, uh, Kayla and Sally were saying earlier, um, you know, Ag is obviously an important factor, and I'm gonna kind of start a little different than what I've normally done. Um, this is some of our, excuse me, our 2021 uh, economic uh, contributions, and y'all don't have this in y'all's deal because I just got it the other day from the uh, economist. But in 2021, I'm still working on 2022 for this year, uh, for this coming year, what we had for uh, gross receipts or cash receipts. Um, every year I have to estimate, if it's an ag commodity in the county, I have to estimate what that value was that we produced in the county. I mean, you may not, you may have produced 100 bales of hay, but this is what the value, you may have kept it in your operation, but this is what the value of it was. And so in 2021, that estimate was uh, almost $98.5 million. And so that's just gross receipts estimates. And um, basically, they've come up with a four-year average uh, on that. And so from 2018 through 2021, uh, the economic output or sales was almost $150 million. And then when they uh, look at the value added side of it, it's around 55 million, a little over that. And that is a comparison to what the GDP for ag, uh, ag in Fayette County would be. So I think that's a very interesting number as we kind of transition uh, our presentations this morning. 
into the ag side of it, and I wanted to start there. So because it just shows that agriculture is still a, a, an important heartbeat of this community. Um, and, and, and at the same time, that is the equivalent to a little over 3,000 part-time, full-time jobs. Um, and you might also be able to sit back and argue that there's a lot more producers in this community that maybe call them hobby farmers, uh, but at the same time, supplemental income into our families is important for us. And so I think that's really critical. <clears throat> Excuse me, but, but without a doubt, one of our biggest programs of the year uh, annually when I first started is our multi-county new landowner program. Uh, that continues uh, year in and year out with us. It's an excellent program. Uh, that's the first one we have there. We had seven classes this year instead of eight. Uh, this year, the third Friday of April was uh, Good Friday. And so we just decided it's best to skip that day and try to set a right reschedule, basically. What is that program called? Multi-County New Landowner Program. Okay. And so it's Austin, Colorado, Fayette, and Washington counties. It started before I got into extension, and when I got here, uh, basically it was one of those, I was told that I need to continue to do it, and it didn't take long after a while doing it sure. while you continue to do it. Sure. Um, but basically we essentially, and you can see the relevance and response and everything that we do on that on that front page, but in a nutshell, what we do at the uh, beginning of the year, end of uh, the previous calendar year, we'll reach out to the appraisal districts in our respective counties, and we ask them to pull uh, some data for us. And basically, we're looking for folks who have acquired property, usually in the last three years. We usually ask for 10 acres or more, uh, because that's generally the minimum acreage for an ag exemption. Uh, now we can go down to five uh, with uh, bees. Thank you. And uh, so when we look at bees, you know, from that standpoint, and then we've also kind of started changing a little bit. You may have inherited family property 10 or 15 years ago, but now you've retired and you're coming here and now you're not going to lease it anymore. You're going to do something. So if anybody's uh, filled out a new 1D1. So, we, so there's some criteria that we ask for data and then we will mail them our brochure and a, and a letter basically inviting them to the series because it's the general, I just bought this property, what do I do with it? Um, and so one, from a land stewardship standpoint for our county, protecting our natural resources, that's an important factor. Uh, but the other side of it is um, people are just truly interested in being involved in their own property and what to do. And, and they've been generation, good Lord, generationally removed from those properties, unfortunately, for sometimes two or three generations, if not more. <laughs> hey, I remember going to Grandpa's property when I was there, and now I have it. I don't know what to do with it because I haven't been on it. Is that like a, a one-day program? No, sir. Uh, well, it is. Uh, we meet eight times a year, so it's the third Friday of the month, February through May, and then August through November. And so we rotate the topics and we rotate through the four counties. And so you can see the very first one is an introduction. We usually welcome, introduce them to who Extension is, and we'll go through some of the different natural resource agencies that are available for them to, to reach out to. But then we also bring in our appraisal districts and we break off in county by county groups so that way we can have some good one-on-one dialect, uh, dialogue with those appraisal districts when it comes to you know what are they looking for, different things from that perspective. And then we'll get into weed and brush, you know, ID management, that sort of thing, uh, pond management, horticulture production, livestock and forage, wildlife management, and sedated prairie stuff, and then also bees and trees is another aspect uh, from that standpoint. So those are generally the topics. 
Uh, we'll pick up an eight topic this summer. Uh, that kind of can change from year to year, depends on what it is. And we call it emerging issues, and we're not 100%. We talked about that yesterday in the committee meeting. Uh, we're getting there. You can see on the, the, the second page there on that one what the kind of some of the impacts are. Uh, you know, ultimately, when people are leaving, they're, they're, they're learning things, and they plan on going home and taking action. And that's ultimately, I think, what we're after is for them to learn and to go home and implement some of these best management practices to make their property better, uh, whether it's for them, improve the value, whatever their uh, desire is with that uh, operation. And so um, we had a little over uh, 433 people last year, and that's on track to kind of what our normal average is. Uh, we only had seven classes for eight, so if we have our eight classes, we'll be up there just shy of 500, like on a normal year. Um, and then you can see some of those impacts. So, and there's some statistical stuff. We talked last year about how livestock and wildlife are really close. Uh, we asked them what enterprises that they're, they're engaged in. And um, usually there was a big gap between wildlife and livestock. Livestock was being number one. That gap is, is drastically closed. The last two years, they've been within one point of each other. Uh, and then the big change this year is, is instead of one enterprise, uh, there's a lot more <coughs> engaged in two enterprises or more uh, on their property. And I think some of that is coming back from COVID where we're having more people moving to the property and they're wanting to get more out of those properties and they're spending more time versus, uh, I think they're spending more time on the property trying to get out of it. So uh, my next one is my beef and cattle uh, production side of things. And I have to apologize ahead of time. I was throwing this together last minute uh, yesterday afternoon and I made some errors on some saving, uh, but I'll get you the correct it. Uh, but basically what it is is on the, uh, the beef cattle, the four-year average, those numbers are accurate on that first section from the previous year. <laughs> uh, but the four-year average for beef cattle was uh, $57 million, a little over. Uh, this year is a little over 77 million is what I've uh, so far have calculated on the beef cattle side of things. And uh, that's a drastic jump. I think a lot of it's gonna come back to some culling cows and some different things that are going at from the drought issue that a lot of us, um, I'm estimating roughly a 20% herd reduction. Um, I'm not quite sure where all the other uh, counties around us are, but that's a big, that's a big number that's dropping. And, and you can see there statistically over the years, our cow herd numbers are changing, lane uses are changing. We're not coming back to cattle a lot of times as, as much as, you know, or we're not rebuilding the herd quite as much. There's a lot of factors that are going there. Um, but uh, the, the, what is it, the total sales contribution or output is a little over $83.5 million. So beef cattle is still our number one ag commodity in Fayette County uh, by a long shot. Um, so this year we talked about feral hogs. We brought in uh, the, the, the tracks and some things that we have from the county. Uh, we'll talk about the feral hog stuff some more, but we, we discussed that and started exposing some of our producers to what we were going to uh, start here in the county, which we have started. And you can see on the back, those numbers are correct, and those are all the accurate numbers on the back. And so uh, the great thing there is, is this year was our largest cow-calf clinic uh, that I know of uh, to date, and uh, we had a, a total estimated impact of $195,000 uh, from the cow-calf clinic in 2022. And so uh, really proud of that program um, the, between the, uh, myself and the Fayette Beef Committee. Uh, we have over 25 to 30 vendors on an annual basis. They give us probably as much door prizes, uh, close to two to $3,000 in door prizes a year from those vendors. Uh, and so it's a great program. And you can see there on the very bottom, we already have uh, next year's date uh, scheduled. So May the 5th, 2023. So if y'all are interested in uh, attending gentlemen, uh, y'all are more than welcome to come. We're happy to have y'all. Um, 
And then we're going to kind of roll into some of the other significant programs. As Kayla mentioned, um, I'm heavily involved with TLC, Train Like a Champion. Uh, but the other one that uh, I will have a two-page paper hopefully shortly is uh, our commercial heifer program. Uh, Kayla and myself didn't, just didn't have time uh, where we could sit together, uh, down together and make that program. Uh, but as uh, some of y'all know, um, the commercial heifer program we spent a lot of time in our office with. Uh, I think it's really grown and it's doing some great things. Uh, we've made some changes uh, with the committee structure uh, on how what we're looking at doing. Uh, we're having a mandatory educational meeting. Uh, and I think that's a great thing. Those kids are coming in and learning about the beef industry. And then uh, they, we take the content that was presented that day, uh, and then back at, and later on in August, they will take a herdsman quiz, and most of those questions come from that. So hopefully they're retaining some of that information. A lot of it's gonna lay over into the record book and the interview process that those kids are required to do. They also meet in the salesmanship. Now we have an overall category uh, for that as well. I remember when I first started, it was just one age division. We have grown that, so now we've broken it to three age divisions. And so um, when I first started in 2008, 2009 was my first year as a commercial heifer show. It was uh, 48 kids. Um, our high was in 2021 of 72. Last year we had 57. Um, and we've had to make some changes because we're running out of room at the fairgrounds uh, from that standpoint. But last year, the commercial heifer, we sold over... Uh, $375,000 in uh, cattle. And as Kayla said a while ago, that goes to, uh, direct, directly to those kids. And, and most of those kids are putting that away for college fund. And so I don't know how we look at the economic impact of that, but I think that's a pretty significant number when we think about a majority of that money going into their pocket. And so as Kayla said a while ago, I think that was part of that $1.3 million that she mentioned. The other thing that we don't look at, though, all the time is, is we also gave out over $12,455 in premium points, our premium money, to those kids from either high-placing heifers or placing in the quiz, placing overall, you know, record book, interview process as well. So I think that's a great thing. In the last 10 or 12 years, we've given over $95,000 in premium monies alone. Uh, so I think that's pretty neat. Um, and so we will be writing that up as an in-depth summary, you know, because we do in a but one of the things that I do want to point out is, is last year on this survey, we asked those kids, you know, if they learned anything. And we had four, five questions on there. And 61 of the, uh, 60 of the 61 kids, 98%, said that they learned anywhere from three to five topics of that we covered. Only one kid didn't learn anything. But, uh, but, but when you think about that, but 60 of them... 98%. I know, right? One kid said they didn't learn anything. But the rest of them wasn't one or two. It was three or more. And I think that's a... That one person already knew it. They probably did. You know? Um, and I think that's impressive, you know, when you look at it. You know, most of the time we're asking, did you at least learn one thing? And so for those kids to say that they learn a lot more than just kind of the bare minimum, sure. I think that's impactful um, from that standpoint. Do what? Yeah, one that fell asleep. So, and I didn't give that presentation last year, so I'm not blaming me, but, uh, but anyways. But the other thing is the 77% that they planned on uh, going home and implementing anywhere between one to three of those management practices. So hopefully make those commercial heifers better to sell that product. And one of the things that we really highlighted this, this January is um, 
is ultimately they are producing a product that has to go back into the community. These buyers are coming in selling, are buying them, and they're gonna put that into production. And you see the impact when we just talked about the beef cattle numbers in Fayette County, that that's important <coughs> to us in the county. So from that standpoint. So I just want to highlight the commercial. I'll give you a formal report once we finally get a chance to sit down and do that. But I just want to kind of highlight some of those big numbers off of that that I think is important. Other significant programs we do in Fayette County uh, on ag and natural resources. This is not all of them, but it's a, it's a bulk of the bigger ones. The ag conference uh, we had again this year, uh, our numbers were way down. Uh, we kind of threw it together at the last minute because we finally got a coworker in Bastrop County. It's a multi-county deal. But I know our uh, road and bridge uh, guys that have their non-commercial license, they attend that every year to get their main their five hours of CEUs. Uh, but that is generally what that one is derived for. The crop tour uh, was a little different this year. Drought was pretty rough on it, and so the committee said, let's just get our CEUs, have our meal, have our meeting like we normally do, but we don't want to go out and look at, look at it. So, um, so we kind of had a crop tour without a tour for 2022. Our annual private applicator training, um, we've had 16 participants over two different programs this year, uh, and those numbers are about average uh, from what we have from year to year. You can see the results from the feral hog and coyote bounty and contest. Um, you know, we changed some things the last few years with the feral hog bounty and stuff. I felt like it was uh, good to just give you all kind of a synopsis from uh, on an annual basis so y'all can see what, what's going on with that. So obviously more feral hogs are taken than coyotes by a large amount. Yes, sir. If, is feral hogs, as you said here at the stand here today, is feral hogs a bigger problem than coyotes? Without a doubt. Yeah. Without a doubt. That's an easy answer. <coughs> well, it's like you said when we were looking at this a couple years ago. One row crop farmer, one family, estimated loses $40,000 a year, and that was, that was four or five years ago. Yes. I mean, that's from one family. And, and, and we'll talk about the traps here in a second, but I had one of those large producers uh, call me the other day asking about traps because he's getting ready to, to start putting some pressure on barrel hogs because uh, middle of February is coming up, planting dates are coming up from corn, and when they plant that corn, those hogs will just go right down that hot, that row before the corn even germinates, and they'll just eat out the kernel down that row. And so then they have to come back and replant it. And so uh, years ago, I want to say probably close to 2010, 2012, uh, Ronnie Yost had given me a number that it was around $400 or $450 an acre to plant an acre of corn. I don't know what that number is now, but the point is, is, is when you go through there and you lose a few acres of it at a time, yeah. it starts to get expensive really quick. Um, and then when you go in those corn fields, uh, when you, where we set the feral hog trap up, uh, the first one that we had as a demonstration for our hall meeting in July. Uh, basically, uh, over there behind the Weichels area off of uh, Bridge, Bridge Valley Road. Just driving in there, once you kind of get back past those first few rows and you see how, how much corn, how many acres of it is just gone. You know, when you finally get to that point, you're going to have a bad yield. Uh, prices are decent, you feel, but your input costs are, uh, have skyrocketed for the year. All these things are going on, and then you go in there and your best field, because it's always going to be the best field, right? And you, you lose probably close to 20 acres out of 44 acres. So if we could stay on that subject of feral hogs, uh, 
At the first it says the Farm Bureau donated $15,000 and then the last sentence says uh, Farm Bureau donated 75. Is that com the two? No, there, there's a, so at the end of, and I'll get my year, years so screwed up now after 20, 20 COVID stuff, but 20, at the end of 2021, Farm Bureau came and gave us 15 grand. Mm -hmm. And so that's when we sat down with a couple of commissioners and Farm Bureau, we decided to come up with the traps to try to do something a little bit more effective for producers. And we bought the traps and then they came back and gave us another $7,500. We just have not had a chance to sit down and um, figure out what we want to do with that money moving forward. The big thing though is, is we're still not having as much success with those traps for people checking them out right now at this stage. Um, and so I need to get a grasp on that and try to figure out what we can do to get either get those out more often or say maybe that's not the best case for using that $7,500. I don't want to throw good money after bad in, in, in a roundabout way. I think those traps have a chance to be very effective. We just got to have a little success. I had one producer check it out. He had pigs on his camera every day for like six months. He checked the trap out, didn't even get it out of the box. He had to get it so he could go out of town. He said for the, the next night, pigs did not show up and they really haven't come back since. So maybe it's just check the trap out, pigs stop coming to your property. I don't know what it is, <laughs> but the whole point is, is we got to kind of get a, I think we get a couple producers in, the, in their hands and we have some success with them, then they'll start getting checked out again. Yeah. It's just timing has been really bad. We finally got pigs coming to the trap on the, the cornfield when we set it up for a demonstration. Pigs came for two nights in a row and the producer really needed to get that uh, ground plowed. So they plowed that ground <coughs> in there, pigs stopped coming. So it just kind of, it's been kind of, feels like snake butt, bad luck on that deal, but we'll get it figured out. And, and, and if the general public is aware of those availability, those yes. tracks, I think that's important yes, too. Yeah, and, and we probably, and that's probably an area I can do a little better job of advertising that. <laughs> but I'm hoping that we can get some success with them, right. get a few people caught some pigs, and then we can use that as part of some of that advertisement. I know Fayette County, or not Fayette County, but Texas Farm Bureau has expressed interest that when we do have some success with some folks uh, on catching those pigs, to let them know that they would be happy to come out there and, and, and do a report and, and do some stuff on that. To show what we're doing in Fayette County, and Fayette County Farm Bureau you know, has, you know, kind of led, help us, led some of that charge. We started with the Farrow Hall contest in 2008. If I remember correctly, I actually have a summary here on that. Um, but we started that in 2008, because the bounty started in 2009. But we started the contest in eight, and you, and I came a couple of years after that, Farm Bureau matched the Bay County funds, you know, on that right away. And so they've been a, They've been engaged in a partner in Feral Hog stuff with us in the county for quite some years. So very good. And then so and then we had a meeting in Farm Bureau. You can see that where I got asked to come down to the Platonian Farm Bureau and talk about that, and that was right before our July meeting uh, from that. The Confield Day, we still had uh, yields. <clears throat> Obviously, drought is pretty rough this year. I think I had one producer that a five to ten percent is kind of what their yield was this year from their county average. However, uh, a lot of our pecan producers didn't harvest at all. And then last but not least, our soil and water hay testing campaign. Uh, are more pecans produced in Fayette County or Colorado County? I believe Colorado County okay. now, now. Um, but I'm not quite sure where we're still at on that. Mm -hmm. um, so that and soil and water hay testing campaign is what we 
We do uh, on an annual basis as well. We continue to do that because it's a great source. And then um, besides this, they'll do a lot of uh, numerous talks to round top young farmers, to Farm Bureau groups, uh, wherever I'm asked to come, uh, Rotary from time to time. Uh, and then I'm also work with Caleb at Crossroads, a District 4 HF man, and uh, District 11 livestock judging. It's kind of awkward to talk about all of the ag programs this time of the year when it's stock show season and it feels like it takes up all of our time this time of the year. But that's kind of our program in a nutshell. Back to feral hogs, you say that Farm Bureau matches what the county does. Yes, sir. So how much how much money do people get if they bring in a pair of feral hog? Well, they don't match the bounty. They match the contest. And so that's one thing that we have to, it gets confusing from time to time. Um, the bounty is $5 a pair, um, but we have limited it to where there's only uh, no more than 50 ears can be turned in per household per month. Um, we had some concerns about some stuff coming over from county line and the county lines and so we kind of felt we, we, we came up with some new ways to kind of help manage that. Well, was that the logic behind keeping a 50 limit? Yes. Thinking that maybe they were harvesting them in, in another county or what's the logic of? We had, we had one person come in with towards the end of the year that had 300 and something was ears back then and it just made us really start evaluating it and asking questions. And that one person we asked, where'd they come from? And they said they came off this 100 acre track. That's a lot of hogs in that 100 acre track. We switched, and the main thing is we, we started kind of doing an investigation. There was no sworn statement where they came from. So now when they're turned in, they have to swear to the statement, the, the property where it comes from, and it, it's notarized government document. And, and, and at the same time, it says, if I'm hunting feral hogs on all four of y'all's properties, is when I come in there and I turn it in, I have to give the name and the contact number and all that. And so that way, if we do have a concern of an issue in the county, we can follow up with the landowner, make sure we have permission and so on and so forth. Well, I don't want to solve this issue today, yes, but is this something that the court needs to be thinking about? In other words, if somebody makes it their pastime or whatever to go out and harvest a bunch of hogs and he gets permission and he harvests these hogs in Fayette County and they sign off and it's all legal, legal. Wouldn't you be receptive to perhaps considering not having a 50 hog limit? The 50 hog limit was came up because our, the top producers, that was right at the top of what they're producing. Now, you can shoot 100 hogs in a month and put 50 tails or ears, start ears in the freezer and turn them in the next month. I mean, we're not saying you have to throw them away. It's just we're only going to give you the $250 a month. And that helps keep our budget more level, too. And in that, <coughs> otherwise, somebody could save up all years for five years and turn them in one time and totally mess up your budget. And if you look from month to month, we have some off years. We'll have some high years and we'll have some off years or off months, excuse me. So usually the summer things slow down quite a bit. Um, and so sometimes people are bringing them in, trying to, you'll be surprised how often we get to, yeah, mama told me to clean the, fr uh, the freezer out. 
you know, and so we'll get some of that stuff. I'll be honest with you, I got three in my freezer probably from November or December. I just keep forgetting to bring them out, take them out of the freezer, you know what I mean, bring them into the office. So it's not like I, you know, um, and that's a good question. I mean, it's something, it never hurts to go back and reevaluate things. Right. Um, but I don't know. The other thing too is, is we're not really doing this for somebody to get rich. The whole concept here is for somebody to incentivize. I see, I see pig. I need to do something about it at the moment, not say I'm going to deal with this another day because you always seem to get too busy to come back and deal with it. And with barrel hogs, the way their population continued to, to move, uh, I think one of the statistical from a data standpoint is, is we have to control 70% of the feral hog population on an annual basis in order to keep this, the population stagnant and keep it from growing. Incredible. And so, so if, if we're not actively engaged in de dealing with it, then what happens to it? You know what I mean? And so those are some things. And again, it's an incentive to help you deal with a problem not necessarily for the county for you to get rich off of the county to deal with your problem does that make sense it does make sense yes and that's, that, and that's that's always that fine line and that challenge to balance that's incredible 70 you have to you have to kill off 70 percent just to keep things and that's and that's modeling you know that's just modeling numbers it's not a true research-based number but that is a, a, a number that we get you sure on a regular basis yeah well, but when a feral hog does, on average, it used to be $200 in uh, value. Ag loss and wildlife destruction loss is, was used to be $200 annually per pig. And now I think they've moved that number up to $300. Mm. And yeah. so, I mean, it, there's a... You know, what's, what's the relation to the hog population going up with the relation to the wildlife exemption land going up? I don't know if anybody's ever done anything, and so I'd be... I'd be pulling something completely out of thin air for that. Does that, so, does that contribute to the hog population increasing? To I don't, it's not used as farmland. It's not. I don't the cows know. aren't grazing it down, and they have more places to hide and, and forage. And for the most part, a lot of your wildlife management folks are one of the guidelines for wildlife management. One of the seven practices. One of them is predator predator control. Feral hogs is considered an invasive and a predator because they can uh, create havoc on ground nesting birds and different things like that. And so they do have a impact on native wildlife and native, native <coughs> habitat destruction. And so they're encouraged on a lot of it. Unfortunately, there's a handful of folks in the, in the county and, and, and around that, that have that mindset that it's a living animal, it doesn't need to be uh, nest with uh, and so I have had a few producers that come in from time to time that they have issues with the neighbor feeding the feral hogs and they don't want them to kill them and you know so there are times where they can get some relief or some of that you know protected ground where nobody's doing anything with them um, and then from that standpoint it's, it's hard to help manage it but you know exclusion methods and things like that to say well then they can you can have it you know what I mean but it still causes problems and I don't. I think it's more of a handful of people than it's just the wildlife management managed uh, properties from that standpoint. If that answers your question, Mr. Yeah. Willie, I'd like for you to come back to the court in a few months, and I'd like to have a discussion about everything you've talked about here today. Okay. Uh, Tell me when. Because I know it's a hell of a problem. Yes, sir. Uh, and if there's something the court or the Farm Bureau could do to help toward this, 
I think we'd all be in favor of exploring it. And, and, and Sally and Kayla made some points a while ago about um, the child passenger seat, I think was what it was, and then the, uh, which is alcohol awareness, is there's funds available if we have an impaired watershed. And a majority of the impaired watersheds, and I don't remember the exact term for it, uh, is tied back to most of the research is to feral hogs. You know, they get in the water and they get E. coli and they get issues like that. And like Plum Creek Watershed is a, is a really uh, well-known one across the state. So they have basically full-time trappers and hunters and all that stuff. And it kind of goes back to one of the comments that they said is, is right now we really don't have one in Fayette County. That's a great thing. Is it part of because we're, we're actively engaged in managing this and to try to, to keep from that happening? But then at the same time, it makes it a little more difficult to get some different grant funds and different things like that because you don't have the problem. And so instead of managing the problem before, you know, doing something active to, to sure. not have a problem, then we always want to knee jerk and react and then get funding available for when you do have the problem. Yeah. And so I, from that big picture standpoint, I mean, you, you talked about one producer. I've been told years ago when we were looking at some of that stuff, one producer actually said that they, they are no longer fertilizing over half of the properties they used to fertilize because it is just too, uh, the property is just too rough and it's just damaging their equipment. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a it's a problem, and 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 the court would like to visit with you yes, periodically to see if there's anything we can do. Yes, sir. Going back to the watershed deal, though, I mean, they Plum Creek been testing the water for a long time. Once it's very expensive to do the testing, so it's hard for us to get to start saying we have a problem here without spending a lot of money, and that's the. The, the, the girl that was given the deal in Edna about feral hogs, when I asked her about the, the grant, that's the grant she's talking about. That's who gets the majority of the money is the Plum Creek Watershed. Because they, they, they're saying they have an E. coli problem in their water. Thank okay, you thank you very much. <laughs> Cassie, what are, we, what are we doing? Are we going to sign? Uh, you don't need to sign anything. You just um, make an report. Okay. Do I have a motion to accept the report from uh, Scott Willie, Sally Garrett, and Kayla Casper? I move we accept the report from the extension agents. Commissioner McBroom makes the motion. Second. Second by Commissioner Sternall. All in favor say aye. 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 Opposed? Motion carries. I would like to say thank you, Kayla, for <coughs> teaching us how to make motions. Because it was a few years back. And, and uh, we've done a good job, and we catch, every once in a while, we'll catch somebody saying we'll point them out, but. I'm on the school board, and I, if you mess up, I'm going to call you out. Well, I'm on, I'm on some boards, and they say, and it drives me crazy because they say motion. And that's all they say. No, they didn't say that. They just say motion. I was like, you didn't. Thank you. I move we adjourn. Second. The motion's been made by Commissioner Brosman to adjourn. Second by Commissioner McBroom. All in favor say aye. 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 We are adjourned. Thank you.